In this week's episode of Real Live Talk, we're going to continue the discussion that we started in last week's podcast, which was episode 152, where we began a discussion on the new covenant. This is something that is so on my heart in these days, and I believe something that God is speaking to his people, speaking to the, the the church, the capital C church right now. And so I really, really appreciate you for being here. I'm honestly pumped that you're here to check out this episode. Um, if this episode blesses you in any way, if you get anything out of it and you're looking for a way that you can support this podcast, you can do that by simply leaving a comment or a review on whichever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you get really, really excited and you want to share this with somebody that you think could benefit from listening to it as well, that would really truly mean the world to me. So thank you guys in advance. Now, again, I appreciate you for being here and let's go ahead and jump into part two of this teaching series where we're diving into the new covenant. And it's something that's really, really been on my heart lately is making sure that we are approaching God, approaching life, approaching the way that we read scripture, the way that we relate to God, the way that we communicate the word of God, that we do it through a new covenant lens. What do I mean by that? Well, I think that we have a tendency, and I think I talked about this last week. I can't remember if I talked about it on the podcast or if it was a conversation I was having with my wife, <laughs> but uh, I may have said something to this effect that you know, when we read certain scriptures, we I think we have a tendency based on what we're reading and what we're looking at to view those scriptures from either an old covenant lens or an old covenant perspective or a new covenant perspective. And I think that we have a tendency when we're looking at passages of scripture that seem to be that come across to us as very full of grace and that kind of thing, that we have a tendency to interpret those things according to the new covenant. Oh, we're talking about grace. We're talking about the new covenant. And so we look at those things through a grace-filled lens. Whereas when we read some other passages of scripture that might be dealing with correction, that might be dealing with requirements, that might be dealing with things that we're called to do, things that we're supposed to do, whatever it might be, whether we're talking about Old Testament, New Testament, whatever, I think we kind of have a tendency to look at those things through a different lens. Oh, we're talking about requirements, so now we need to look at this through a different kind of lens or from a different perspective. And when we do that, we end up in the wrong place because the reality is that the old covenant, just in terms of timeline and history, the old covenant came to an end like a couple thousand years ago, which means that you and I have never lived or we were never intended ever. Any of your family members, relatives, anybody that you know, anybody alive on the planet today, none of us were ever intended to live under an old covenant mindset and perspective. However, it seems that for a lot of people that become saved, that, that give their life to the Lord, that surrender to his plan for their life, that surrender to his leadership, that often that we end up relating to God first on the basis of an old covenant perspective, an old covenant paradigm. Part of that, I think, is, you know, if you grew up in the church like I did, then, you know, you maybe grew up going to Sunday school or going to certain classes. And what's one of the first things that they talk to you about when you grow up in Sunday school? They talk to you about the 10 
commandments. And I have nothing against the Ten Commandments. I think the Ten Commandments are amazing. I think we need to use them. I think we need to implement them into their lives. I believe in the Ten Commandments. However, it, what it does, if we're not careful, is it can cause us to begin to relate to God on the basis of adhering to a list of commandments. Now, Jesus, even in the uh, in the Gospels, he will say things like, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, then obedience needs to be a part of that. That This is actually one of the ways, a, a, an important primary way, I think, that we express our love to God is by listening to Jesus. It's by obeying him. It's through our obedience because I can say that I love you. I can say that I trust you. I can say that you're the Lord of my life. But if I call you Lord and I don't actually do the things that you instruct me to do, then I'm really not living as if I'm under your lordship. And God is so kind to us and he's such a good benevolent king and leader and shepherd that he allows us to have our own will and he doesn't dominate us he doesn't impose his will on us it's more like he invites us into a lifestyle of freedom where if we would surrender and yield to the leading of the holy spirit we'll experience the fullest highest level of freedom that we ever could because he doesn't lead us because he wants to be a dictator he leads us because he loves us and because his way is so much better than our way and so obedience is important. Commandments, I'm not saying that they're not important and that they're not valid. I'm saying that I think that the way that many of us came to the Lord is that we came to the Lord through kind of a series of, of teachings or just a, a way of understanding that centered very much around adhering to a list of commandments. And it was, you know, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, then this is what you're supposed to do, and this is what you're not supposed to do. And so, I'm, and I'm not denying any of that, but what I'm saying is that I think that the things that we do and don't do, actually, I, I don't just think this, the things that we do and don't do under the new covenant, under grace, the way that God has designed it, the way that God has set it up is so that obedience and following the instruction of the Lord, it actually flows out of a life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And that's so much better than what the old covenant offered. The old covenant author offered, excuse me, uh, tablets with chiseled instructions on this is what you're supposed to do. And if you do it, you're going to be blessed and it's going to go well for you. If you don't do it, then there's actually going to be uh, curses. There's actually going to be punishment. There's going to be things that come into your life and it's not going to go well for you. So this is what God is saying. This is God says, do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And if you do what's written on these tablets and if you follow the instruction that you're given, then you're going to be blessed. But that is not how it works under the new covenant. Under the new covenant, it is so amazing. It's so amazing. And it's beyond our ability to really grasp the, the, I, I, I think it's hard for us to understand or to like trust or believe, or I don't know that God could really be this kind to us. <laughs> and so we try to bring in old covenant, old Testament paradigms to make sure that we're not missing it. What we really need to learn how to do is trust in the leadership 
the authority of the Holy Spirit who's been given to us as a gift who lives on the inside of us. And what we need to do is have more faith in the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us than in a list of rules and regulations. All right. Now, I'm not saying that you uh, can't learn about God and you can't grow in your walk with the Lord and you can't uh, fall in love with the Lord, you know, coming to him based on rules and requirements and regulations and all of that. I'm not, it, it's just that because in the Old Testament, people were able to commune with God and have fellowship with God and they were able to get to know God. I mean, when we look at Moses and one of the primary things we're going to look at today is the difference between the old and the new. And we're going to look at Moses and uh, we're going to use the passage of scripture, second Corinthians chapter three, we're going to go through several verses there. And there's a beautiful contrast there between the old and the new. And it really uses Moses as a focal point of that discussion and what we see is uh, an incredible amount of glory on the life of Moses and how Moses spoke with the Lord, the Bible says, face to face. It was like he, he spoke to the Lord as, as if you would speak to a friend. And Moses had a beautiful friendship and communion with God. But the thing about it is, is that what Moses had pales in comparison to what you and I now have access to under the new covenant so we can continue operating under an Old Testament, an Old Covenant mindset and paradigm, and we can get to a, a, a great place with God. But it's always going to be limited because under the New Covenant, God like pulls the blinders off. He pulls the veil off. It's like... um. Uh, what, what was it? Like if, if you ever had a, a vehicle or I think they used to do this on like motorized, uh, like, uh, bikes, like dirt bikes and things like that. If you ever had a, a, a vehicle that had a governor on it, what the governor did was the governor restricted the, the speed. So that bike may have had a top speed. It may have been capable of doing 80, 90 miles an hour, but that governor on there would limit it to like 35 or, or, or 40 miles per hour. And so, you know, we would talk about, you know, cutting the governor off so that it weren't restricted in the speed uh, where you could go and you can experience much greater speeds than you could with that governor on there. And with when we come to God uh, on the basis of the old covenant, which as we talked about last week, and you know, if you didn't catch last week's episode, I would actually encourage you to maybe stop listening to this episode and go back and get that one before you finish listening to this one, because we're going to hopefully kind of build on that on last week's episode a little bit. If you want to listen to this one first, that's fine too. But I would encourage you at some point to go back and check out episode 152, because this is a series that we're going to keep going and uh, we're going to keep seeing some different uh, some different aspects of the new covenant and hopefully learn some stuff together. And, you know, the it, when we approach God on the basis of an old covenant mindset and perspective that's really about rules and regulations, then I think what we're doing is it's like we have a governor attached to us that's limiting our capacity to really see the fullness of the beauty of who God is, and it limits how far we're able to go in God. And in, in reality, there are no limitations. And so I think we have an option. 
I think we have an option of approaching God on the basis of an outdated covenant, or we have the option of approaching God on the basis of the new covenant. And I think it's really, really interesting. You know, I think I mentioned this last week, but I want to bring this up again, and I don't think I read it. I think I just made reference to it in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1, Paul is writing, and he's writing to people who know the law. He says this in verse 1, Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband, now he starts using this example of a of a husband and a wife, and he starts talking about how they're 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 bound by law. So it says the woman who has uh, a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives and she marries another, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. So what he's talking about, he's using this as an example, a husband and a wife, that they're they're bound together by law. In other words, they're bound together by covenant. Marriage is a covenant. The law of God for the Old uh, Testament was a covenant between God and his people. So the people of God were under this, this covenant. They were They were part of this covenant. It was between God and man. And there was this covenant in place. And it says, as long as you're living under this covenant, you're bound. It says, therefore, my brethren, verse 4, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another. So it's like they were married. Now, again, we're talking to where Paul is talking to people who knew the law. Now, in his day, right, like people were under the law. I mean, if he was speaking to people who were, you know, above the age of 30 or 40 or, you know, based on how many years this was written after Jesus, but from the, from the death of Christ on the cross, the law, Old Testament law was nullified and the new covenant, the new Testament is implemented. That's why the veil, when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn. Because that symbolically, that wall of separation that said, you cannot go past this point and survive because God is holy and you are not. <laughs> Through the death of Christ, you and I have been made holy we have been made righteous because Jesus' obedience counts as our obedience. So now that wall of separation, that veil of separation has been torn. It's been removed. It is out of the way so that there is nothing that holds us back from experiencing the Father, from having a relationship with the Father, from living life face to face with the living God. And so Paul says, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Verse 6 says, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, the passage I want to get into today for a little while is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And 
it uses some uh, some similar language here. And I don't know, should I start in verse 1 or should I keep going? Um, I'll start in verse 1 just because I think that it all connects. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written on, excuse me, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. I wanted to read that because I think it connects with something that we discussed last week. So when we, when we look at Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8 actually makes reference to Jeremiah chapter 31, which is this prophetic picture of the coming new covenant. And so Hebrews chapter 8 will actually quote um, some some scripture here from Jeremiah 31. And so Hebrews 8, 8 says, because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That phrase there about God putting his law in our minds and writing it on our hearts. So let me read this again. Verse three of second Corinthians three, it says written, not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. So this is the thing like and and we're and this is the kind of the preamble to what we're going to get into this contrast between the old and the new covenants where Paul actually refers to the old covenant as a ministry of death or a ministry of con condemnation the thing is the new testament is so much better because we have the spirit of god living on the inside of us and he actually writes the law of god on our minds and on our hearts where it's not a list of of commandments chiseled onto a tablet that we have to look at and figure out how to live it's actually god himself coming to dwell with man living on the inside of us so that we are so perfectly united and connected with God that we can be led by the Holy Spirit where we walk in obedience, but it's actually obedience to a greater extent. See, this is the great misconception that the old covenant law actually does a better job at keeping us free and keeping us from sin and keeping us doing the right things than grace. But the only reason we think that is because we have a wrong idea or wrong understanding of what grace is. Because, you know, there's been teaching in recent years about, you know, this, this statement or this idea of, you know, hyper grace and, you know, this kind of thing where, you know, some people have been led to believe that because you're under grace, it doesn't really matter what you do, that your character is not important, that it doesn't matter how you act or how you behave or how you treat people or whatever, because you're under grace. And that is just so stupid. Uh, I'm sorry, but it's just dumb. 
being under grace is actually so much more freeing because it makes it so that we're not bound by a bunch of rules and regulations that we have to do or else it's like Jesus already did it for us. He did it perfectly. He did it once and for all so that his obedience is our obedience so that I'm free from the bondage of having to do a whole bunch of things and get a whole bunch of things right. But the reason that I'm free from that bondage, God wanted me to be free. God wanted you to be free from that bondage so that you're actually free to focus on what really matters, which is loving him. It's getting to know how much he loves you and falling more in love with this perfect savior who gave everything for you so that he could open up that door and give you free access to his presence so that you could be seated with him with Christ in heavenly places where there isn't this veil this boundary point of separation because you weren't good enough to get there it's like he took it all upon himself so that he could remove every challenge and every obstacle so that today you and I could be free to get to know him. He's taken all of the obstacles out of the way and he made us good enough. He made us right. He made us righteous with his actual righteousness. He made you to become, to be made the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus so that there is no excuse and there is nothing that holds you back. Not even your sin, not your addictions, not your challenges, not the lies in your head. Like there's nothing that is able to hold you back from actually experiencing the presence of God, from experiencing the goodness and the glory of God. Nothing in this world can hold us back. The only thing that holds us back is when we hold ourselves back because we're living under a wrong mindset. Or we think that we have to, we buy into a lie or whatever that says that we have to do things this way or that way in order for God to be pleased enough with us to give us permission or to give us access into his presence. And it's just a lie. It's just a lie. And if you've lived under that lie, if you've bought into that lie, you know what? I, uh, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I've, I, I've bought into that lie. I've lived according to that lie. I've missed out on the goodness of God because of that lie. But you know what? Like, I don't have time for that anymore. And I just want you to be free from that today. I want you to be free from that old paradigm today because he's literally done everything for you. He's wiped out. We looked at this last week, Colossians chapter two, verses 13, 14, and 15. He's wiped out that handwriting of requirements that was against you. He took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. It goes on there to talk about how he disarmed principalities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. You know what? And that's actually really interesting. I wasn't going to do this, but, you know, I think this is really, really interesting because, you know, those are some of the most action-packed verses of, like, the Bible, I think. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13, 14, and 15, talking about what Jesus did on that cross. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it. That's actually a really, really beautiful thing because when it talks there about how he disarmed them, it's like if you've ever... Um, seen like a disarming ceremony where one nation defeats another nation and there's like this process of like having the the enemy 
captain or general or whoever it is that was leading the battalion, like stripped of their rank and removed of their weapons and all of that stuff. It's a public disgrace. It's, it's, it's putting to open shame the enemy who's been defeated. Jesus put the devil to open shame. He stripped him of his title. He stripped him of his authority. He stripped him like naked. It, can I can I just read this from the Passion Translation? Because it is like, I mean, if you haven't heard this before, this is going to just blow your mind. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 in the Passion Translation says, Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. They were led around as Jesus triumphed over them, stripping them away, stripping away from them, excuse me, every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power. I mean, come on. How good is Jesus? Like, this is the reality. But, but check this out, because the next verse is just, like, nuts. Because, again, that's it's such a cool thing. I mean, I would love to see – Bill Johnson always says, you know, I want to see the video of that one when I get to heaven. Like, this is one of these things. Like, we're going to want to watch the Blu-ray or whatever, you know, whatever heaven has is probably way better than Blu-ray. But, you know, I want to see the ultra-high-definition replay of what this actually looked like in the realm of the Spirit. But anyway, verse from that, it goes right into verse 16 and it says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head. Um, let me, let me, uh, let me, yeah, let me jump down. Therefore, verse 20 says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things, which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Wow. So we go from this incredible description of what Jesus did, how he took away the handwriting of requirements that was against us. He nailed it all to the cross. He beat the crap out of the devil and the principalities and powers in heavenly places. And he led them around in a spectacle of triumph. He triumphed over them openly, put them to shame, put them to disgrace shipping them of their power, shipping them of their authority, shipping them of all of their weapons. You know what the devil's left with? He's left with lies and deception. That's what he's left with. Stripped of all of their power. And then we go from that right into this thing. So don't let anyone judge you 
about following a list of rules and making sure that you go to these Sabbaths and these feasts and all these different things. I know that there are a lot of people in the body of Christ today that really believe in continuing to celebrate the Old Testament feasts and all that kind of stuff. And if if you're into that, I have zero problem with that. I think that there's plenty of, of value in doing that, but I don't find any value. And I think that this scripture makes this clear. I don't think I'm stretching it. I, I, I don't think there's any, um, there's any value or let me say it like there's, I don't, there's no reason for that to be imposed on somebody else. If you want to do that, if you want to, you know, celebrate the feast of tabernacles, if you want to celebrate those feasts that were done in the old Testament, if it, as long as it helps you to see Jesus, as long as you see Jesus in that and it enhances your relationship with the Lord, that's awesome. But if it comes, if it becomes bondage or something that you feel like you have to do to get the blessing, like, I, like I've heard so many Christians say, you know, when those times of year come around, it's like, there's all this teaching that resurfaces. That's like, you know, if you're not celebrating this particular feast, or if you're not doing this, then you're not going to get all of the fullness of the blessing that God has for you this year. It's like, hold on. God's already made all that available to me in Christ. I don't need to do any of this stuff. I don't need to put in special regard a festival or a new moon or a particular commandment or whatever it might be in order to experience the blessing of the Lord on my life because he's already blessed me with every spiritual blessing, Ephesians chapter one, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's not as long as you do this, it's that's done because it was settled by Jesus on the cross. And so, yeah, again, if you find value in anything, do it. I mean, I, I, th I think like there's plenty of value for us in fasting. I think there's plenty of value to us in, you know, doing like different things, spiritual disciplines and, and things that we do. I mean, let's just be honest. If we're not, you know, spending time in God's word, if we're not spending time, if we're not going to church, if we're not spending time fellowshipping with other believers, if we're not spending time in corporate worship settings, if we're not spending time feeding off of the word of God and what God says and all these things, like if we're not doing these things, we're not going to grow because we're designed to be in community with others. And, and we, we need God, you know, we, we need these things present in our lives in order for us to, to grow. That's why they're, they're there. So, I mean, you know, I'm not saying just let everything go, throw everything off and just have this attitude that some people have like churches in my heart and I don't need to do these things. I don't believe in that either. But, you know, when it comes to, to anything that we try to add to Jesus, like if we try to take what Jesus did for us and the fact that he forever lives to make intercession for us, he's the mediator of the new covenant. If we try to say, well, we need Jesus and we also need this in order for us to commune or connect with God, we're getting into trouble. So we need each other. We need fellowship I believe that we are supposed to. I believe that it is not optional for us to um, be a part of church and be a part of the body of Christ in that way. I don't think that it's optional for us, but I also don't think that it determines our salvation. And I also don't think it determines how God thinks and feels about us. I don't think that it determines um, whether or not we're acceptable to God and we can access his presence and be face to face with him. So I just think we've got to be careful about the way we look at things, about the way 
we consider these things because as we go down here, it's like all this stuff that we subject ourselves to do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Then it goes down. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. I love that phrase. They have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. In other words, I think it's kind of what I said last week where we feel more comfortable or more confident or whatever by adding rules and regulations to the new covenant because we think it's going to somehow insulate us or shield us or protect us from sin, from going off the deep end and, and doing things that we you know, know that we shouldn't do. Whereas if we actually look at this the correct way, the grace of God is more than enough. The power of the Holy Spirit is more than enough. We don't have to add anything to the power of the Holy Spirit. The law was in place for a time. It was a placeholder. My senior pastor um, uses this terminology that it was a stopgap measure. As a governmental term that we'll see like when the government is trying to pass some kind of a bill or there's like the the debt, uh, the government shutdown kind of situation and they can't get to the, the, the final agreement where everybody's happy. So what they do is they pass a temporary stopgap measure so that the government can continue to function even though they haven't gotten to, you know, all of the things being in place that need to be in order for the government to function or continue to function at full capacity. So it's a temporary stopgap measure. It's not meant to become permanent. The law was never meant to be permanent. The law was a placeholder for the people of God until the new covenant of grace would come. But now that the new covenant of grace has come, it has completely replaced the old covenant. You and I are not supposed to relate to God on the basis of the old covenant. We're supposed to relate to God fully on the basis of the new. It doesn't mean that there's no value or merit in the Old Testament. I I believe the Old Testament is as much the word of God and at just as valuable as the New Testament. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But as far as what covenant we actually live under, what covenant actually governs our lives and has authority in our lives? It's the new covenant, period. And we don't have to mix it with the old so that we don't sin. We just have to understand how good grace really is and how powerful the Holy Spirit really is and to see God for how good he really is and righteous living and holy living and obedience to Jesus flows as the result. So again, I think that this is what God's intention is. It's he did he did everything that you and I need to do. All the requirements that you and I need to do before God, Jesus did it. He accomplished it for us. So now we're free from having to figure out what are all the things that I have to do because now there's nothing I have to do to be accepted by God. Like there's no rules and regulations I have to do to be accepted by God. So that out of the way, it actually frees me up to fall in love with him, to receive his love. And then all of those things that I'm supposed to do, quote unquote, all of those things that are actually, you know, like um, profitable to me for life and godliness, they flow out of my life naturally as I behold him. 
The problem is, is that we don't teach people how to behold him. The problem is, is that we don't teach people how good he is and how full his love really is. And we don't teach people that they can actually live their life face to face with the living God. And so what ends up happening is we offer people an inferior covenant. We offer people an inferior set of rules and regulations. And we say, this is how you get to know God. And this is how your life is protected so that you can know him. And then there ends up being confusion that sets in because there's a mixture of the old and the new. And so people end up connecting with God and, and, and learning how to grow in their walk with God. But they end up doing it under this assumption that they can't get as close to God as they want. I, I, I used to um, teach this a lot. I used to say this all the time. And let me remember... Um, <laughs> Hebrews 11, is it 11? Um, Hebrews 11, 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So in order to come to God, I've got to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. I have to believe that about the nature of God in order for me to draw near to him. So um, what I used to teach all the time is you'll only really draw near to God to the extent that you believe in who he is, or you'll only really draw near to God because I, I believe that the heart is the seat of our belief system. So I'd say it like this, you only really draw near to God. Um, <clears throat> now I can't remember what it was. It's in one of my books. Um you, you'll only draw near to God to the extent that your heart allows you to. So it's like, if I don't trust him, if I don't know who he is, if I don't know that he's a benevolent father, that he's a rewarder of those who seek him, if I don't know that his face is toward me, that his heart is toward me, that his love is lavished upon me, that he actually rejoices over me in singing. If I don't believe these things about God, either because I've never been taught them, because I've whatever, but if I don't believe this about God and instead I have this faulty understanding of God that he's mad at me when I don't read my Bible enough then what am I going to do? I'm probably going to be afraid to draw near to him. And so I'm only going to go a certain distance. I'm only going to get to a certain point and then a wall is going to go up. And that's not the desire of God. It's not the desire of God that we relate to him on the basis of an outdated inferior covenant he wants us to relate to him on the basis of the new covenant that he established for us. Again, he'll relate to his people on any level because he loves us that much. But again, he's not going to force his love on anybody. And so we've got to open our heart to him enough where we're willing to draw near to him. And the nearer we draw to him, the more we realize that we're just scratching the surface and there's so much more to experience because he's so much bigger than we can possibly imagine. So let me get into uh, 2 Corinthians here because it was supposed to be the subject here and I'm 
already running out of time. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we read the first few verses. <clears throat> Verse 4 says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Now, so the letter will refer to the law. The You know, you've heard the statement, the letter of the law. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. So the old covenant was of the letter. The new covenant is of the spirit. Which one do you think is better? Yeah, me too. For the letter kills. Huh? So if that wasn't clear before, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And yet we're so worried about the things that we do right and wrong that we miss out on the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, but if the ministry of death... So remember, the letter kills. So the old covenant kills. And so now we're going to use this terminology where the old covenant is going to be synonymous with the ministry of death. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, that's the law, was glorious. Wait a second. So it was actually glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. So if you read the old covenant, you see the people of God, they were brought out to the mountain to experience the, the presence of God, just like Moses had. But when they heard this, the, the thunderings and they saw the lightning and they saw the thick cloud that was around the mountain, of God, Mount Sinai, when they saw all of that, they were afraid in their hearts and they actually told Moses, don't let God speak to us anymore because it's too much for us. You continue hearing from God. We'll listen to you, but don't let God speak to us anymore. So they actually chose collectively as a nation to not hear directly from God, but to go through a mediator, Moses. And so Moses becomes this mediator really between God and man. And so Moses would go and he'd experience God's presence and he'd be with God face to face. And what would happen is his actual face would begin to radiate the glory of God. So we're not saying that what they had access to was not glorious. It was glorious. It was so glorious that Moses had to cover his face because the people couldn't bear to look at him. But look at verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, so now we're talking about the ministry of death, we're going to call it also the ministry of condemnation. If the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For what is passing away, for, excuse me, for if what was passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. So in other words, it's like the new covenant is so much more glorious than the old that it's almost like the old wasn't even glorious at all. We know that it was because we see the description of it. We see how Moses was impacted by his communion and fellowship with the Lord. But we know that Moses did not have access to what you and I have access to today, which is the spirit of God himself living within us. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, he says, talking about the Holy Spirit, how he's going to go away and send another comforter. And he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The Spirit of God living within us is Jesus present with us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. God has always desired to dwell with man. God has desired to be face to face with his beloved creation 
He's always desired that. And, you know, the fall caused there to be separation between us and God, but through the restoration that Jesus has created through uh, his death and his resurrection, he's done away with all of that. So for us to sit here and to continue to think that we're separated because of our sin, that we're separated because of our bad habits or whatever, is just, it's old, outdated thinking. So a new covenant lens allows us to see clearly what it is that Christ has accomplished for us so that we can live in the experience of it. I mentioned a verse last week, and I actually gave you the wrong reference. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It's one of my favorite verses. But it says, Therefore, you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. I, I think that that beautifully sums up the new covenant. It's like, you've received this. You've received everything God has for you under grace in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, there's nothing else God needs to do. Like there's nothing else he needs to do. He's already given us full access, free access to his heart, to his ex, uh, to his inheritance, to be co-heirs with Christ, to actually be seated with Christ in heavenly places. That is your present reality right now. And yet we waste so much time. We spend so much time being ugh, distracted by stuff thinking that we've got to do things to measure up. It's like, you're already there. You're already there. It's like, you, you've, you're already there. I already put you there. God's like, I already put you there. I already put you in Christ. I put you face to face with me. Just open your eyes so you can see me. Stop looking at what man says. Stop looking at an outdated covenant. Stop looking at the rules and regulations as if they're good enough to govern your life. Because if you come under that mindset, you're going to be controlled. You're going to feel manipulated. It's not going to be good enough. You're going to burn out. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to realize that you can't do it. So just open your eyes and look at Jesus and look at the fact that you're face to face with him. I can't wait to get to verse 16 because... It's going to, I just, I just can't wait. So we're at verse 12 right now. We're a few verses away. Verse 12 says, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. That's what I mentioned before. They, they, they made Moses put a veil over his face after he spent time with God because they couldn't handle the brightness of the glory that was radiating off of him. But remember what you have access to makes what Moses had pale in comparison. Verse 14, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taking, taken away in Christ. So here's the thing. It's not that the, uh, the problem is not the Old Testament. <laughs> the problem is not the reading of the Old Testament. The problem is that a veil lies on the hearts of people as they read it. But here's the reality. The veil's been removed. The veil's been taken away. And yet we can still live under a mindset or come under a mindset and live as if we're, we're veiled to the fullness of God's presence. The veil is taken away in Christ. We just read that. This is Paul. Remember, this is Paul, the one who like 
in the Bible, we see him named Saul and he's so zealous for the law of God that he really believes he's doing a service to God by delivering up Christians to be put to death and to be arrested. He believes he's doing a service to God because they are coming against the structure of the old covenant law. He was so zealous for the law of God. His life was devoted to the law of God. He could probably, because of his stature as a Pharisee, um, because of the status that he had, he could probably recite the old covenant law from memory. Like he knew the law. He knew it. He knew it backwards and forwards. Forwards. It was the governing thing of his life. And this is that same man who's been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, by coming face to face with the reality of the risen Jesus. And now he's able to use this language that this thing that he had devoted his life to, thinking that he was doing service to God, He's actually rec recognizing now that under grace, it's nothing but a ministry of death. It's nothing but a ministry of condemnation. And even though it had glory with it for that time period, that glory does nothing to compare to the glory that is available to every single one of God's sons and daughters because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. So it's no longer the ministry of the letter, but the ministry of the Spirit. And it does not get better than that. It is literally heaven and earth, what you and I have access to. So it says their minds were blinded because um, they, uh, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, verse 15, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. And so we can continue living under an Old Testament paradigm and fail to see the Old Testament and the New Testament through a new covenant lens. And it's as if we're living under a veil, but that veil is taken away in Christ. This is the verse I wanted to get to verse 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So it's like, we can be blinded by all of this stuff, by all of these things that we feel like we've got to do and we've got to get right and the rules and the regulations and all these different things that we've got to like anchor our hope to in order to get to a certain place. Meanwhile, God has completely done everything for us through Christ. So it's like the veil is taken away. We just simply need to open our eyes and awaken to the reality of the fullness of what he's accomplished for us so that we can walk in him. As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. There's nothing else that you can do. You can't do anything to make this any better. It is perfect. It is perfect. And because he is perfect, you have access to a perfect covenant. And it's not based on what you do and how you act. It's based on his grace. And as we anchor our hope to him and him alone, and as we behold him 
And as we walk with him, our minds are renewed. Our minds are transformed and we become more like him. So doing the things, living the way, developing the character of, you know, like not, not killing and not committing adultery and not stealing and, and, and uh, not forgetting to honor the Sabbath. And like these things that are given to us on a list of tablets and even, you know, what Jesus would, would ratify in the gospels, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like these things that when we look at them as commands, as I got to do this to get this, like, like we, we can only get to a certain point. Whereas when we start with Jesus and we continue with Jesus and the aim of our life becomes beholding him, we're actually transformed. We're going to, we haven't gotten to this verse yet, but we are transformed more into the image of God so that we live like him, so that we think like him, so that we act like him. Because this ministry of the Spirit is so much better at everything than the Old Covenant was. It's so much better. It's so much better at governing our lives and helping us to walk in righteousness. Again, the enemy wants to pervert and distort and be like, oh yeah, grace is so good because you don't have to do anything. There's nothing to do. Just do whatever you want and God's going to love you and forgive you. And it's like, well, okay. But that's not the result. Like, that's not the result of what your life is going to look like if you're actually <laughs> like using the new covenant reality to get closer to God. Because as you get closer to God, your desires begin to line up with his. And that's, I believe, what he means by writing his law on our minds and on the tablet of our heart. Where it's like he's actually changing us and transforming us from the inside out. He changes our heart so that our minds, our mind comes into alignment with his way of thinking. And when our mind comes into alignment with his way of thinking, then our actions automatically follow. They begin to flow out of that. Our life flows out of that. Our character flows out of that. We become completely transformed, but it's an inside out job. It's not an outside in job it's not it's an inside out job it's it, like let's stop trying to put the cart before the horse and get all of the right living down so that we can be one with god it's no we're going to go opposite you're one with god in christ and so now trust in the power of the holy spirit who lives within you to actually see your life transformed as you walk with him so nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This is one of my favorite verses. It's like my favorite evangelism verse, this verse right here. It takes a little bit of explanation, uh, I think, to get people to understand it. Um, but like I always go to this verse when somebody tells me something like, well, I can't give my life to Jesus because uh, I, I'm a sinner. I can't give my life to Jesus because I have so many things going on in my life. I, I, you know, my life is too messed up. God couldn't accept me how I am. You've all heard these things, right? And, and I'm always like, well, look, actually, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. You don't have to do anything to get your life right so that God can accept you. This is what it is. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It's not that you have to have the veil taken away so that you can turn to the Lord. That's our 
that's that's most people I think they're they're understanding. It's that I have to have this veil torn away so that I can turn to the Lord. I've got to get greater understanding. I've got to get greater knowledge. I've got to get something. Something has to be added to me so that I can turn to the Lord. It's actually opposite. You can make a heart decision to turn to the Lord. And as you turn to him, that veil is removed. And here's the beautiful thing about that. Um, if I'm not going to do the demonstration because most of you are probably listening to this rather than watching this, but I would do this demonstration with like, I've done it with people. I've done it with stuffed animals, but it's like you turn to the Lord. So you've turned toward him as you turn toward him. The veil is removed. So where are you left? You are left face to face with God. And that is where you begin your journey with Jesus. See, most people are under the paradigm or under the mindset that they've got to be with God. They've got to be walking with God for years and years and years to get to this place that they can be face to face with him. My friends, you begin your relationship with God. You begin your walk with the Lord face to face with your heavenly father. Because when you turn to him, that veil is removed you are left face to face with him. It's incredible. Like this is the most beautiful thing to me that we get to begin our walk with the Lord face to face. And, and, and that if we would actually continue in that reality, you know, if we would continue living under that awareness and that kind of a mindset that says, you know what? My heavenly father is so for me and his love for me is so perfect that I actually walk through life every single day of my life, living in the light of God's face, that his face is actually toward me, that his face is shining down on me. You know, I love the, that um, blessing that was spoken over the people in, in Numbers chapter 6, I think it starts around verse 24, and it's that God wanted this, God's instruction was for this to be, um, I'm trying to think of what it's called, this, this blessing to be spoken and declared over the people regularly by the high priest. And so it was this, this blessing, this declaration, the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That was the desire of God, even under the old covenant, for that to be spoken and declared over the people, that they would be reminded regularly that that is the desire of God. Now, here's the thing. Under the old covenant, a lot of that was connected to the people's willingness to obey. But under the new covenant, that's where you begin. With all of your rough edges, with all of your challenges, with all of your problems, with all of the confusion in, in, in your mind when you come to the Lord, whatever you're carrying, whatever baggage you're carrying, you begin your relationship with God in his face. And he never takes his eyes off of you. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Lord is the spirit 
and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. First of all, the spirit of the Lord lives within you. So there's liberty. You were made for liberty. You were made for freedom. But this is, this is significant that it says where the spirit of the Lord is. Because you and I, we all have areas of our lives that we have submitted and yielded to the lordship of Jesus, to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And there's probably other areas where you've maybe walled them off or you've kept them back or you've kept them to yourself or you haven't wanted to expose certain aspects of your heart or your life or your past or hurts that you have or whatever it might be that you've kind of kept certain areas of your heart, of your mind under lock and key where you haven't allowed access uh, to that area uh, to the spirit of God. And so there's not freedom there yet because it's something that you're still trying to do in your own strength. And the more that we open up our heart and we allow the spirit of God free rule and free reign within us to actually govern our lives and we yield every part of ourselves to the Holy Spirit that we begin to walk in that freedom where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. It doesn't mean that God is holding himself back from us. He is fully like alive in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the dwelling place of God here on the earth. He's not holding anything back from you, but you may find, uh, and, and you may find this over and over and over again, as I continue to discover that you know, there's areas of my life, areas of your life where you might be holding yourself back from him. And he's not forcing his leadership on you because he's not that kind of king. So it's face to face with God, walking in the reality of that. And the Holy Spirit illuminates areas of our lives that we've not yet yielded to him. And therefore, we're not experiencing the fullness of his freedom and his peace and his joy and his life in that area. And so this is a process. It's a process where our minds are being renewed as we're becoming, as we're coming face to face with him and living that way. Face to face with God doesn't mean just in the times when you're spending time with God, quote unquote. It doesn't just mean when you're doing spiritual activities. It's when you are living your life, when you're tucking in your kids at night, when you're going to work, when you're going to school, when you're studying, when you're sleeping at night, it's recognizing and learning to live in the awareness and the consciousness that God's face is toward you, that you live life in his face. When you sit down for a meal with your family, that you guys can actually have that meal in the presence of God. It, and, and it's just learning to become aware of that. It's just becoming aware. God wants to do life with you. <laughs> God wants to do all of life with you. So often we compartmentalize different areas of our life and it's like, okay, well, I spent my time with God today. Now I'm going to go do this other aspect of my life. And it's like, no, God wants to be as much a part of that as the time when you're reading your Bible. There's, there's not this line. God doesn't, God doesn't draw this line between what's secular and sacred or what's spiritual and not spiritual. God doesn't do that. That's something that man does. That's something that we do, but that's not God's heart for us. His heart for us is that we would walk in the newness of 
his spirit in every single moment of every single day. And that's a process that we're growing into. But as we become more and more like him, as we behold him, that becomes the reality of our lives. And so let me get to this last verse. It's, oh my God, it's so good. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but we all with unveiled face. Just think about how beautiful that is. So we went through this thing, contrasting the old and the new covenants, talking about how the glory of the old was great for that time period. But since the new so far excels beyond the old, it's like the old almost had no glory at all. So why even continue to subject yourselves to that? Because you're under a new covenant and it's so much better. When you turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away so that you can be face to face with God and where he is governing your life with his lordship, there is absolute freedom in that area. And we all with unveiled face, with unveiled face, meaning there's nothing between us and God. We all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. So it's like this. The veil has been removed. We have an unveiled face before God. And the more that we behold him, it's as if we're looking in a mirror. And as we're looking into the mirror of God's glory, we're becoming more like him. We're being transformed. Uh, it uses this word, we are being transformed into the same image. That word transformed is the same word that's used when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain with Peter, James, and John there present. He was transfigured. He became other. They saw him in a way that they had never seen him before. And his his clothing was like lightning, like he was radiating the goodness and the glory of God. They saw something that was absolutely incredible. The word there is actually, the Greek word is metamorphu, which we get the word metamorphosis from. What happens in a metamorphosis, a, a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, and in that cocoon, that caterpillar is actually completely transformed. That caterpillar is completely transformed. Like if you were to like go halfway through that process, you'll find like goo <laughs> in the cocoon because like the caterpillar is completely like just, it goes from being a slug looking thing to just becoming something totally different. And when it emerges from that cocoon, it's a beautiful butterfly with wings, it can fly, it's gentle, it's, uh, you know, flutters around. Like the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly is night and day. So different that if you didn't already know, like if you never took a science class or watched National Geographic, like if you saw a caterpillar next to a butterfly, you would never in a million years think that that butterfly came from that caterpillar, that they were connected, that they were related. That's a metamorphosis. It's a complete transformation inside out and everything outward is affected and transformed. This is the kind of transformation that happens when you and I behold God face to face. And the only reason we're able to behold him face to face is because we're under a new covenant and we get to approach him by grace. We get to come boldly before the throne of grace because of what Jesus did for us. How much better is that? Like, that's how good. You know, the old covenant was able to go to a certain extent to keep people from sinning. 
awesome. Our goal under the new covenant is not to stop sinning. Our goal under the new covenant is to be transformed into the image of the one that we're beholding. That is this revelation process where we're more and more and more becoming who God created us to be as we behold him. My friends, I went way longer than I intended to. Uh, I hope that if you stuck with me, you got some value out of this. And man, this new covenant is so good. I feel like we're just scratching the surface on this. There's going to be more teachings on this that are going to follow. Uh, next week's episode will not be about this because uh, I do have a guest. I'm so pumped for uh, for for my guest, um, and uh, and it's it's going to be so good. Brand new friend of mine who just launched a new podcast that is uh, going to blow your minds. It's going to be such a blessing. And um, I reached out to a mutual friend, and I was like, "Hey, you know, I don't know what kind of promotional stuff you guys are doing for this new podcast, but um, you know, I'd I'd love to, uh, um, you know." have this person i don't want to I just, i'm just not dropping the name yet but um i just you know want to have this person on the podcast if she's interested be awesome we'll uh you know i, I just want to be supportive of of her uh new work here that's going on with this new podcast because i really believe it's going to be a blessing to many many people so we're going to talk about that and uh, we're just going to spend some time just contemplating the goodness of God, I'm sure, in one way, shape, or form. So the next week's episode will um, not be me by myself. We're going to have a guest, and I, I'm so pumped and grateful for that session that's coming up. And then maybe the week after or the week after that or something, we'll get back to some more New Covenant stuff. Please continue to reach out to me and let me know if um, you're enjoying this. I've had some really, really good feedback so far, so I'm going to definitely keep it going. But um, I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear your thoughts, um, whether they're thoughts that are in alignment with mine or if they're a little bit different or very different or whatever. Love to hear from you and um, hash some of these things out together. So I really appreciate you guys so much. Just remember that you are transformed into the image of the one who loves you, the one that created you as you behold him. So my my encouragement to you as we wrap up this session is this, just recognize that you live your life in the face of God. From the moment that you turned to the Lord, the veil was removed and you began this journey with God in his face. If there's been anything, any lie, any motivation, any anything distracting you, causing you to think that you're distant from God, that you're separated from God, that you're not good enough for God, whatever it might be, I just invite you, even in this moment right now, uh, even just symbolically by faith, if you would with me, just close your eyes right there and just just get a picture. I'm not saying like you have to, you know, picture exactly what God looks like or anything like that, but just just become aware. Just let your senses kind of become alive with this reality that you are in God's face. And I just invite you to just allow all those distractions to just fall away and just open your eyes and awaken to this incredible promise from heaven that you are in the face of God, that you live life in his face. And where the spirit of the Lord is, 
there is liberty and it is the desire of the Lord for you to walk in absolute liberty, absolute freedom, absolute peace and joy, and to live life fully alive in the love of your heavenly father. So father, I just pray, um, for everybody that's listened to this episode. And I just thank you, God, um, for the reality of this new covenant. That's not because of anything that we've done that we get access to it. It's all just a work of grace. I thank you, Jesus, that you did everything on our behalf so that we could be free to simply know you and to live life in the fullness of the freedom that you've given to us. Lord, teach us uh, just more and more what that means and what that looks like. And as we surrender to the leading of your Holy Spirit to walk in Christ Jesus the Lord as we've received him. Um, and, and, and I also just want to say this, that if you don't um, have a personal relationship with Jesus, I just want you to know that it is completely available to you. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to even go join a church. You don't have to like call a priest or a pastor or get somebody to pray with you. You don't have to do any of that. Um, but I just want to invite you to uh, just say a really, really simple prayer uh, with me. You know, the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. That there's a heart decision. Look, again, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It's like, yeah, well, I don't understand everything yet, or I'm not ready to give this up yet, or I'm not ready to do this yet. That's fine, because it's not about that. It's not let the veil be removed so that everything is right, so that I can turn to the Lord. It's make a heart decision today to give your life to him. He removes that veil instantly. Whether you feel it or not, that's not the point. The point is that your reality, from the moment you give your life to Jesus and you accept his free gift of salvation, from the moment you make that decision to turn your heart and your life over to him, you're in his face. His spirit comes to take up residence within you and you have access to his power. You live life in the power of God and his, his power is big enough to break any addiction, any sin cycle, any fear cycle, any lies of the enemy that you've lived under, any identity issues, any stress or worry or condemnation or whatever it might be. Like those are weights of things that you were not intended to carry. You're not intended to carry those things because Jesus paid the price for those things once and for all. So um, I just want to invite you to just give your life to him. And I'm going to say a prayer. You know, you don't have to pray it just like this, but just for anybody that's listening that may, I don't normally do this. Like I hardly ever do this on this podcast, but I just sense that uh, this is necessary today. And I want to make sure that we're not passing over anybody that might be kind of like on in that place where, um, you know, wanting to begin a relationship with the Lord, but maybe not 100% sure how. And so if you want to begin walking with the Lord today, just know, like, you don't have to do anything. You just make the decision. And then, and, and so we're going to make a, a confession so that you have something that you can hold on to and you can say, yeah, I, I, I chose on this day to give my life to Jesus. 
So I'm going to say just some some simple words. And if you want to repeat this with me or if you want to make it your own, completely up to you. But uh, I just want to just welcome you to the family of God and just want you to know there is so much more. There's so much freedom. And God has such incredible, incredible plans for your life. So just, um, yeah, if you want to say this with me or make it your own, whatever you want to do. But Jesus, we just recognize that you are the son of God and that you are the king of kings. And we thank you for your perfect sacrifice that you laid your life down once and for all so that we could be free, so that we could be saved, so that we could be healed, so that we can know you. Jesus, I thank you for your free gift. I give my life to you. And I just thank you for being my savior. Thank you for being my Lord. And I ask that you would help me to walk with you, to know you, and to experience your presence in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you prayed that prayer or a prayer like it, I uh, would just uh, encourage you to reach out to me or if somebody shared this podcast with you, reach out to the person that shared it with you or something like that and uh, just let them know. Let me know. Let somebody know. Uh, I would love to be able to just rejoice with you um, in knowing that you gave your life to the Lord or rededicated your life to the Lord today or whatever the case may be. Um, reach out to me on one of the social media platforms. The uh, Facebook page for this podcast is at Real Live Talk Podcast. Um, you can uh, email me at uh, duke at simplepowermedia.com. You can visit my website, which I don't talk about a whole lot, simplepowermedia.com. Got a bunch of resources on that website, as well as a few books and things of that nature. And um, yeah, just reach out one way or another. I uh, appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, just remember this week to live your life aware of the light of God's face, the grace and the peace of his face that is shining down on you. The face of your heavenly father is toward you. He loves you. He's pleased with you. Don't come under any anytime any kind of lie just kind of resurfaces this week that says you're not doing right, you're not doing enough, you're not enough, you're ugly, you're whatever. <laughs> just remember who you are. Remember that all of this is a grace gift, meaning that it doesn't matter how good you've done or not done or whatever. It's all based on the finished work of Jesus. Let your confidence this week be in his finished work. Love you guys. See you soon.